We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. Second Kings chapter five. Let's pray, shall we? We are so blessed, Father, to be able to come to You this morning through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. His merit, Lord, is our standing before You this morning. And we just thank You so much for Your Word that You've given us. This objective standard by which we measure our lives. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit this morning would work in us. That You might show us our sin and show us our Savior that You would make this book come alive to us, Lord, and that we would go from this place more aware of who You are and just more in love with You for what You've done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Second Kings chapter 5 Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word the prophet's spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there's no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. 
Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Verse 21, So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Didn't my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper, like stone. This is the word of the Lord. You know, sometimes in life, the problem we're aware of, as unpleasant as it may be, pales in comparison to what our real problem is. We're going to look this morning at the life of Naaman, a man who knew he had a problem, but who had a deeper problem. There's a story told about Albert Lopez. On a hot summer day in July of 2011, while he was preparing for vacation in San Antonio, Texas, he injured his back while he was loading up a camper trailer. He experienced tremendous back pain, but figured it was just a pulled muscle. He figured it would heal within a few weeks, but a month later in September, when the pain continued, he made an appointment with his doctor. When he went in to see the doctor, the doctor ordered some x-rays and a week later called Alberto and told him that there were more x-rays that were needed. But Alberto didn't think much of it and so he didn't go back to get the other x-rays because he was confident that nothing serious was happening. But three weeks later, he went into the doctor for something else and he decided that since he was there, he'd get the additional x-rays as, as well. And when he did so, just within a couple days after that, he got a call from the doctor to come back in. Ultimately, Alberto was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. The seemingly insignificant back, back pains belied a much more serious problem. And that was the, that's the case we're going to see this morning with Naaman. Naaman knew he had a problem. He had leprosy. He had a skin disease. But he had a much more serious problem, and God was going to solve that problem for him in a rather strange way. You see, Naaman was a great man, but he had a serious problem. And he tried to solve the problem the best way he knew how, as do you and I. But God had a better way, a way that he would not only heal the problem that Naaman knew he had, his leprosy, but more importantly, he would heal him of his deepest need. So let's look, first of all, here this morning 
at, at Naaman's problem, the problem that Naaman knew he had. Now, Naaman was a great man. We read that. He was the commander of the Syrian army. The king thought he was a great man. He really liked him because Naaman was successful. He was second in command in Syria. And the scripture tells us that the Lord had used him. The Lord was using him. Even though Naaman didn't know who the Lord was, the Lord was still using him. And he used him to give Syria victory. And so his boss obviously liked him because he got the job done. As you know, if you're a worker in a, in a company, you get the job done, your boss likes you. And this, is, this was Naaman's situation. He was a great man. It says in verse 1, he was a mighty man of valor. It's the same term the angel uses when he, when he appears to Joshua as Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. He addresses Joshua as a mighty man of valor. It, it implies strength. It implies a man with ability, a man with know-how, a man who's efficient. He was a mighty man of valor. And we know he was a very wealthy man because down in verse 5, we see what he took in terms of silver and gold and clothing down to Israel. Uh, present day equivalent, he took down 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. It comes out to a little over $3 million. So he, we know he was pretty well off. He was a man of position, a man of stature. He got the job done. He did everything, everything he did, he did well. He relied on himself. He was a wealthy man. He was a successful man. But the scripture tells us in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, but he was a leper. He could handle everything in his life and God gave him something that he couldn't handle. This incurable disease, it was a degenerative disease that would only get worse over time. And so Naaman has a problem that he can't handle. But he's still going to try to fix the problem himself. We see that he goes about trying to solve his problem in the only way he knows how. After he hears from the servant girl that there's a prophet in Samaria that could heal him, he goes to his boss. And he arranges, he gets permission from his boss to write a letter to the king of Israel where this prophet is. And so he's using his political influence to go and get what he needs from this other political power. And he goes to the king of Israel with this letter. But it doesn't work. It was a natural thing to do, though, because in those days, there were gods all over the place, and the priests for these gods all over the place worked for the kings. So if the king wanted something, the priests and the prophets for these different gods would work for the king. There's an example of that just a little bit earlier in the book of Kings, where Elijah it wasn't Elijah, but one of the other prophets, goes before King Ahab, the king of Israel, before this time. And 400 prophets come out. Prophets of Baal come out. And the king says, what am I supposed to do? And the prophets, knowing what the king wanted to do, said, go out and be victorious. You'll win. You can do it. They, they were lackeys. They were government servants who worked for the king. And so the servants, the prophets, would do what the king said. There was one king one prophet back in that time with Ahab and Jehoshaphat's there talking Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah he's talking to Ahab the king of Israel and after all these 400 guys come out and say yeah go do it you're going to be victorious Jehoshaphat says isn't there a prophet of the Lord around here we could seek counsel and Ahab says you know very telling Ahab says yeah there is but he always says bad things about me and I don't like it okay the only prophets who didn't work for the king in all these countries were the prophets of Jehovah because Jehovah doesn't work for the king. 
the king works for Jehovah, whether he knows it or not. And so it was natural for the king of Syria to send this letter to the king of Israel because Elisha was in Israel. And so the king of Syria figured he, he worked for the king of Israel just like all his priests worked for him in, um, in Syria. But it doesn't work. And of course, the king of Israel, he doesn't know what's going on. And so he tears his clothes. He figures that Syria, that's more powerful, he's just lo- looking to pick a fight for him fight with him and and stir up trouble. And so the king of Israel just, he's totally out of his mind. He doesn't know what to do. So Naaman's solution is not working. If you can imagine, here's Naaman. He's got three million bucks worth of precious metals there and all this other stuff. And he goes down to the king of Israel, goes to Washington, D.C. and sees the president. I mean, that's the equivalent, okay? We're talking about heads of state that are talking here. And nothing. It doesn't work. And this is where the mercy of God comes in here. In fact, it even started before that. You see, Naaman tried his solution and it didn't work. Now God is going to give Naaman his solution. And he was already preparing to reveal himself to Naaman before Naaman even knew that God existed. You'll see back in verse 2 what happened. It tells us that the Syrians in one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. We talk about human trafficking today. It was standard practice back then. Nations would come in and they would take whoever they wanted back and use them for themselves and make slaves out of them. And here we have this little girl who's in service to Naaman's wife who says, man, if he was in Israel, he'd be healed. Because we know we have a prophet down there who can really get the job done. She was taken from her home and yet she has compassion on her new master. And she has confidence in the Lord of Israel. You know, it's, it's just as a little aside here. This is a perfect example of witnessing. This little girl, no stature, doesn't have anything, but she knows who has the solution. And she has compassion. And so when the situation presents itself and somebody has a problem, all she does is express her confidence in the Lord of Israel. And that's all she did. That's her little piece in the big story of Jesus Christ down through history. But here's this little girl gets this little bit part. God had taken her there. And so God was working through her and he'd already put her in position before Naaman had leprosy. And when the plans fall, Naaman's plans fall apart with the king of Israel, God's going to use Elisha to reveal himself to Naaman. See, the king of Israel says, what am I going to do? And that's the end of the story. Except God steps in. Elisha hears about it and Elisha sends a messenger to the king and says, why have you torn your clothes? Verse 8. Let him, that's name, and come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. Now God's going to reveal himself a little more visibly. He was working all the time. He was already at work. But now he's going to reveal himself more visibly. And so the king of Israel, having nothing to lose since he couldn't do anything anyway, figured he'd send him down to Elisha and see what happens. And what happens is God puts his finger on Naaman's deepest problem, his pride. Naaman comes in verse 9 with his horses and chariots. And he stands at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha, in verse 10, sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. 
we don't get today. We don't maybe don't get this too much, but this is a, a huge insult. I want you to imagine you're the second in command in a country that's that's ruling over Israel. In effect, you're the you're second in command. You've got everything. You're sent by the king of Israel down to this prophet's house, and the prophet doesn't even open the door and come out and see you. He sends a servant out to give you a message. And here's this picture of, of Naaman with his chariots, plural, we don't know how many, but at least two and probably more, and horses, we don't know how many, and but probably more. We know there was at least two servants there because a little while later they're going to pack the silver back for Gehazi. We know there's at least two mules there because he wants to take at least two mule loads of dirt. So there's quite a procession. I mean, watch the news when a head of state comes to visit somewhere else. And you've got all these people. I don't know what they all do, but there's people everywhere around there. And that's what you've got. Naaman comes up, pulls up to Elisha's door, and Elisha doesn't even come out. Heads of state, when governments want to make a point with another country, and they want to tell them they're put out with them, instead of the head of state going, they might send an undersecretary. And the lower down the person that's sent with the message, the bigger the insult to the person you're sending the message to. And this is what God did through Elisha with Naaman. He sends a servant out. And the servant comes out. If that wasn't bad enough, then he tells him what to do. And he tells him to go down to the Jordan and dip in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. He tells him to wash in the Jordan and Naaman storms off. He's been insulted and he's been sent to the Jordan River. Why is he so upset? Well, look at what he says in verse 11. Naaman was angry and went away. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman had an idea of how he was going to be healed, how he would be taken care of. And then he says, Are not Arbana and Parfar, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? It's kind of like you live next to the North Santiam, okay? Up above Detroit Lake, okay? And the waters that are flowing down there, it's just beautiful. And you come down and you're told you've got to go dip in the Tualatin River. Okay, that's the contrast. Because the Arba you can still go to, to Syria. And the Arbana River flows out of the mountains. And this, there's this kind of a cliff-type area. It comes out of the rock and then flows onto the plains into Damascus. It's a, it's a beautiful, clear river. And Naaman says... I'm the second in command. I am somebody. I've proved myself. I've got everything I need. Why are you sending me down to the Jordan? The worst place of all. There's better solutions if you wanted to get... If I'm supposed to get washed in water, at least let me wash in clean water. Not this filthy stuff. The Jordan River, which flowed slowly and was down below sea level and there just wasn't much to be seen. God had shown him absolutely no respect. Naaman had power. He had money. He thought he knew the best way to be healed. And God would have none of it. This is really important for us to get a handle on. See, Naaman's deepest problem wasn't that he had leprosy. Naaman's deepest problem was that he was a self-made man. He was self-confident. He was self-sufficient. He was self-reliant. And because of that, he had a lot of self-respect. The common word for it is pride. He was a proud man. 
And there are a lot of people today who think that they've got something to contribute. And it's a big stumbling block for them when God comes to them and shows them that there's nothing they have to offer. This is the picture of the angry generation that says, if God's not going to do things the way I think He should, then I will have nothing to do with Him. I mean, think of this. Here, Elisha says, if you do this, you will be healed. And it says in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, Naaman turned and went away in a rage. He wasn't disappointed. Well, he was disappointed, but he wasn't just disappointed. He wasn't just angry. He went away in a rage. He was furious. He had brought all this money. He had made all this effort. He traveled from Samaria or from Damascus all the way down to Samaria. And he was furious because he didn't get the respect he deserved. And it's the mercy of God that he didn't go back and keep his leprosy. And how many people today God offers them life in Jesus Christ. He says, all you have to do is recognize that I am God and you are not. That you have chosen to go your way instead of my way. And because of that, you're under the condemnation of my wrath for your sin. Because I made you. I own you. And just receive. Christ came and He died and He paid the price for all your sin. And all you have to do is admit you're wrong Admit you have nothing to offer. Repent. Turn from that self-will and turn to Christ and receive life. That's all you've got to do. And you will have eternal life. And people turn and walk away in a rage. I can't believe in a God that would allow suffering. I can't believe in a God who says this or that. I won't have anything to do with him. But you know, brothers and sisters, if you've put your faith in Christ already, you know that all too often you're like Naaman in front of Elisha's house with the Lord. You know, isn't that the picture of our hearts when we expect God to solve our problem? We know we have a problem. We know where the solution might be. The Lord's going to solve the problem for us. But because God doesn't do it the way we think He should do it, we turn and walk away and stomp away in a rage. There are a lot of Christians who are really mad at God who will never admit it. Because God is not doing what we think He should be doing in our lives. And so we turn and we stomp off in a rage. Why? Because God's solution is not the easy way. And God's solution, I can't say always, but almost always, will not preserve our self-respect. You see, we've got a problem in our life, whatever it might be. It might be health, it might be a relationship problem, it might be a financial problem, it might be this or that. You, you pick your problem. Okay, you know what they are. I know what some of them are, and I don't want to give examples because you might think I'm aiming at you. I know what mine are, or some of them. I'm learning more of them every day. But... <laughs> My idea of God's solution for me is a way that's easy. You know, those clean rivers up there in Damascus, you know, they're flowing. It, we, I want the easy way. And, I, and it's a way that's going to preserve my self-respect. You know, if I've got a problem with Betty, I know how God's going to fix it. 
He's going to show her she's wrong and she's going to say, Husband, I should have listened to you because you are always right. <laughs> right? I'd flip it around, ladies, okay? That's the other way. It could be the other way, too. Or with your kids, or with your, your parents, or with your boss, or with your neighbor. We think the solution we're going to have is like the solution Naaman thought he was going to have. He was going to go down there with his big bucks. He was going to get the respect he was due. Elijah was going to come out and say, he done all that. And he was going to be healed, and he was going to pay for it. And then he was going to go back and he was going to be fine. But God wanted to heal him. Really heal him. And God wants to really heal us. And you can be almost absolutely certain that God's solution for your problem is going to be harder than you wish it was. And you're not going to be able to maintain your self-respect. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And oftentimes in our lives, our reaction to the problems in our lives reveal the pride that's left in our heart, even as believers. With the Lord Jesus Christ, the way up is always down. And so from Samaria, he's come from down by Damascus at the base of Mount Hermon and he geographically come down in elevation to Samaria. And then God was telling him through Elisha, to go down an elevation below sea level down to the Jordan River and dip in the dirtiest river Naaman could think of seven times. By the time he was healed, he had no self-respect left. And that was God's severe mercy to him. So he's going to go in a way in a rage and here again we see the mercy of God and the grace of God. For the second time, not a king, not a bigwig in government, but a servant, a slave, comes again and speaks. And his servants say, Father, basically, what are you doing? Do you realize what this prophet said to you? Won't you do it? Verse 13. Has he re- did he really tell you that you could wash and be clean? Is it possible that he gave you the possibility to be healed? And so we see Naaman's healthy humiliation here. He goes down to the Jordan and he does what Elisha told him to do. I would love to have been there. I would love to have seen that. I I don't know what it would be like, you know, after the third time down, the fourth time down. I mean, here's Naaman, this second in command in the king of Assyria, always on top. His servants are watching him bathing in this dirty river. And he came up the sixth time and he still had leprosy. What's he going to do? And then he goes down a seventh time and comes up and he's healed. His leprosy is removed. Fantastic healing. But the greatest healing of all in this story is what happened to his heart. Because look what happens. His heart is changed. He comes back. He's making the detour. It's about 15 miles or more, which doesn't sound like much unless you're on a bicycle or on foot. And he's 15 miles down to the Jordan. And then the straight shot back is due north, up the Jordan, past the Sea of Galilee, up to Damascus. But he's got to take a detour to Samaria to come back and say thank you. Up until that time in his life, people owed him. He was the big wig. People went out of their way to say thank you to him. And now here he is, His heart has changed in verse 15. He says, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but Israel. 
Now, I don't know why ESV doesn't have the word now in there in verse 15, but all the, almost all the other translations I've looked at do. It's like the light went on for Naaman, and Naaman realized this God of Israel is just not like Rimmon and all these other gods that work for the king. This is, a, this is a God who is the God. In fact, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So his heart's changed and he knows who God is and he would have never known who God was if he hadn't got leprosy. You realize that? It was the mercy of God that he got leprosy. And in your life and my life sometimes it's the mercy of God that you've got the problem you've got. Because it's the only way God can get your attention so you see what your real problem is and you'll know who God really is. Not just an idea, but He's really God of the universe. But He's grateful too. He's got gratitude. He comes back and He says, accept a present from your servant. And Elisha says in verse 16, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And at this point, that's normal. That's what you did in the... Middle Eastern, we do it a little bit today. You want this? Nah, nah, nah. Ah, oh, come on, take it. Oh, okay, I'll take it. You know, there's this back and forth. Take it? No, I don't want it. Ah, come on, take it. And if, if the person insists enough, then you take it. Because you really don't know if he really wants to give it to you until he pushes really hard. And so Naaman thinks that's what's going on with Elisha. And Elisha says, no, I won't receive it. And so Naaman urges him to take it. But Elisha refuses. And then Naaman realizes this guy's really not going to take anything. And Why? Because God, Elisha took funds from people from time to time. There's other stories in the book of 2 Kings where Elisha does something and somebody helps him out and pays him. He, that was, he made a living. He didn't do it for money, but that was the way God provided for him. But in this case, there's something really important going on in Naaman's heart. And God wants to underline it a hundred times because this guy's so high up and has so much... Um, so many resources, he wants to underline the fact that his healing is free. That he can't bring anything. That he brought nothing to the table. Naaman's going to go back to, to Damascus healed inside and out, and he can't take credit for any of it. And that's why Elisha says, no, I'm not taking anything. And then look what Naaman says. Not only is he grateful, he's humble. Verse 17, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mules loads of earth. Now, the second in command of Syria is standing before Elisha and saying, I'm your servant. You see what's happened in his heart? God has got down to the depths of his heart and healed him not only of his physical leprosy, but of his spiritual leprosy. And he wants to take two mule loads of earth back because back then, the gods were linked to the earth. Now, Naaman doesn't really understand who God is completely. He knows he's the only God, but he doesn't really understand how everything works out. Because he thinks the only way to worship the God of Israel is to be on Israel dirt. So, he's going back to Syria. So, he says, let me take some of the dirt back with me so I can worship the Lord back where I am. And that's why he wants to take that two mule loads of dirt back there so he can worship the Lord. Because he says, I'm not going to offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And then, not, not only does he call him his servant and ask for permission to take some dirt back to Syria, in verse 18, he asks for forgiveness because he works for a guy who's an idol worshiper and he realizes that doesn't fit with the, who God is. And so he asks for forgiveness when he goes into the house of Remen, the god of the Syrians, 
that when his boss, who's hanging on his arm, bends down and he has to bend down with him, that he'll be forgiven for that. Now that presents a little bit of a problem. Should Naaman have known better? Maybe. I mean, you can read all the commentaries. I read a bunch of them, but I'm not going to confuse you with all the different opinions they have there. But the point is, Naaman knows it's not right. And Naaman isn't saying, well, I'm going to just do it anyway. Naaman goes to Elisha and asks for forgiveness. He is a humble man. He is a broken man. He's still the commander of the king of Syria. But he knows that the God of the universe rules over the king of Syria. And now he is humbled there in what he had done. Naaman thought that he went back to Israel to be healed of his leprosy. But in reality, God was the one who brought him to Israel to show himself to Naaman and to heal him not only of his leprosy, but of his pride. Naaman goes back to Syria healed in his body and healed in his soul, but he's unable to take credit for even the slightest bit of his transformation. Look at the unmerited nature of God's grace and mercy in this story. Think about this for a minute. Naaman had no right to God's healing. Naaman wasn't a Jew. Naaman wasn't under the covenant. Naaman wasn't a a child of Israel. He had no right in that particular time in history to have any claim on God's healing. And yet Jesus tells us, it's the only time Jesus mentions Naaman in Luke chapter 4, verse 27, that there were a lot of lepers in Israel at that time in history, but God chose Naaman, and Naaman was the only one that got healed. Not because he was a good man, not because he was a rich man, but just because God chose him. Unmerited grace and mercy. He speaks to him through a little servant girl. And he saves Naaman from his own pride. When Naaman stomps off in a rage, God is going to heal him whether Naaman wants to be healed or not. And he sends those servants to say, come on, listen to what Elisha is telling you. And then he reinforces that by not accepting any payment for the healing. And I think the last part of this chapter, this whole story with Gehazi, is to underline how serious God was that Naaman get the point that he couldn't pay anything for it. Gehazi runs after him and takes, you know, 150 pounds of silver for himself because he thought he thought Naaman was getting off too easy. Gehazi didn't realize that God, clear back then, was making a point in a historical event that was going to be told for centuries and millennia afterwards of how God has mercy on whom He will have mercy. Unmerited. And so Gehazi receives the punishment of polluting, as it were, the story of the unmerited nature of God's grace. But notice too in this story how the sovereignty of God is hidden and yet always at work. It says in verse 1 that God had given through Naaman the victory to the commander of the Syrian army. The commander of the Syrian army and Naaman himself didn't even think about the Lord. And yet the Scripture tells us very clearly that God was using them as His instruments to accomplish His purposes, even before they knew about it. 
And then he sent that brave little slave girl into his home. God's setting it all up ahead of time. Naaman has no clue what's going on. It's just another girl that he got so his wife didn't have to do the dishes or sweep the floor. He didn't think anything about it. But it was the sovereign hand of God getting all the ducks in a row so he could reveal himself to this man. He gave him leprosy to get his attention, something he couldn't handle himself. And even when the king of Israel couldn't deliver him, he didn't have a clue what to do so that Naaman could be healed, he sends Elisha. And all of that was just to get Naaman to face his deepest need. You and I are really no different from Naaman. Deep down at the core. We share one thing for sure in common with Naaman. We're not Jews, okay? We're outside the covenant. And when Christ came and shed His blood on the cross, He died for those who were Jews physically, and He died for those who were non-Jews physically. He died for all whom He would call to faith in Jesus Christ. And like Naaman, we probably think something else is the problem. But our deepest problem is sin. We know that when we come to Christ, God gets our attention. And we see that our deepest problem is that we're rebels against God. As one old preacher used to say, we're born with two fists in the air and we just keep living that way. But our deepest problem is sin. And we know that. And yet, even after we come to Christ, sometimes we forget that our deepest problem is still our sin. We've been set free, but we're working that out. And sometimes we forget as Christians that our deepest problem still is the same thing. It's turning from the Lord. And like Naaman, we bring absolutely nothing to the table. The old hymn says, Lord, nothing have I whereby Thy grace to claim. I got nothing. We have nothing to commend ourselves to God. Christ has obtained our salvation. He is the one through His perfect life, His perfect obedience, His death in our place that allows us to stand before Him. And that's the only way. The only way we can experience God's healing is to humble ourselves. Go down to the Jordan. We do it once in baptism to begin with. We, can, we identify with the death, our death with the death of Christ. We humble ourselves there. And then daily we go back and confess our sin. And humble ourselves. And obey Him. It's true when we initially repent and believe. And we do it daily. So the problem that we think we have may indicate we have a bigger problem. Alberto Lopez, four years later, can say that he's almost able, he says, to be a father again completely. He's gone through the treatments for his real problem that he didn't even know he had. God invites us in Jesus Christ to recognize that He has taken care of our deepest problem in His Son. And the only way you and I are going to benefit from that and really live fully the benefits of what we have in Christ is for us to humble ourselves and recognize that our deepest problem is ourself. Let's pray.
Lord, we are so grateful. The more we live, the more we see ourselves, the more we realize what's really down deep in our hearts. We are so grateful that our standing before you is our standing in Christ and not in ourselves. Thank you for this historical event where you showed once more your grace, your sovereign love and mercy, that you persisted with a man until he got the point and humbled himself. Lord, I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives, that we wouldn't keep fighting you. Lord, you know there are many here who are weary, but weary because they've been fighting against your ways in their lives. We've been looking for the easy way. We've been looking for the way where we are, our self-respect is maintained. And you've called us, Lord, to the way of the cross, a way of humility, a way of humiliation, so that we really can be healed. Lord, I know Naaman went back home more joyful than he ever thought he would be. And I pray that for each one here this morning, Lord, that you would meet us and bring us deeply, deeply into Christ. In Jesus' name.